So good afternoon. <clears throat> Going to offer some reflections this afternoon on compassion. And I'm going to have compassion for the bell ringer and wait until they get in here. So I thought I'd start by reading a poem. I was really, Pam really grabbed me yesterday when she talked about how she'd been thinking about the uh, heading for our retreat, Clarity Plus Compassion Equals Freedom. And I really liked that, So, which is partly why I invited her to be on the team. <laughs> because our minds really jive well together. So kind of holding that in mind, I'm going to start with this poem, which kind of builds a bridge between um, the talk Pam gave last night and this talk, in addition to everything else that we're engaged with, with you all. And it's a new poem that's come to me from a friend, and it's very apropos. So knowing that... uh, component of what we're doing over these days together is really um, familiarizing and engaging and committing to renunciation, um, which was exemplified in a big way yesterday in terms of the technology ceremony. And so this is a poem about renunciation by Jennifer Wellwood. There will always be voices that promise you greatness and glory. They call out from the worldly marketplace. They call out from the spiritual marketplace. They call out from the fill your holes marketplace. They call out from the bigger, better, more marketplace. Do not buy their false promises or purchase their ephemeral wares. What fulfills for a moment is not worth the price of your soul. There are heights that will lift you, but not when you try to ascend them. There are powers that will fill you, but not when you make them your own. There are treasures, and there are imitations of treasures. If you have lost your true gold, at least turn away from the glitter. Want only what is true. This will lead you to the well of your deepest sorrows. Follow that passageway all the way down. Become the dark emptiness of your absent core. Be still. Don't measure the waiting. Be still. Let the waiting become a fire. Be still. Let the fire show you its secret heart. 
a strand of clear light running through you. Gather yourself there and the luminous universe opens. In that vast expanse, fathomless, infinite ocean of light, lose yourself and find yourself and become what you already are. So we've all become present to the misunderstood reality of this human story we're all living in, this story of love, redemption, kindness, and generosity. However, it's also a story of violence, division, neglect, and cruelty. Faced with all of this, We can soften, reach out, and do all we can to ease suffering. Or we can choose to live with fear and denial, doing all we can to guard our hearts from being touched, afraid of drowning in an ocean of sorrow. Again and again, we are asked to learn one of life's clearest lessons that to run from suffering, to harden our hearts, to turn away from pain is to deny life and to live in fear. So though it may be difficult to open our hearts towards suffering, doing so is the most direct path to transformation and liberation. Compassion and wisdom are at the heart of the path of the Buddha. In some of the early Buddhist stories, we find folks asking the same questions we ask today. How can we respond to the suffering that is woven into the very fabric of life? How can we discover a heart that is truly liberated from fear, anger, and alienation? Is there a way to discover a depth of wisdom and compassion that can genuinely make a difference in my life and in this confused and oftentimes destructive world? No matter how hard we try, We can't make ourselves feel compassionate. But we can incline our hearts towards compassion. In one of the stories in the early Buddhist literature, the ascetic Sumedha reflects on the vast inner journey required to discover unshakable wisdom and compassion. He describes compassion as a tapestry of woven of many threads. Generosity, virtue, renunciation, wisdom, energy, patience, truthfulness, determination, 
loving kindness and equanimity. When we embody all of these in our lives, we develop the kind of compassion that has the power to heal suffering. So Bhante Gunaratana has quite some things to say about why we're even doing this. Like, why are we here? What are we up to? In his contribution, he speaks to meditation being called the great teacher. It is the cleansing crucible fire that works slowly but surely through understanding. The greater our understanding, the more flexible and tolerant, the more compassionate we can be. We feel love towards others because we come to understand them. And we understand others because we have understood ourselves. We look deeply inside and see self-illusion and our own human failings. See our own humanity and learn to forgive and love. When we have learned compassion for ourselves, compassion for others is a natural unfolding. Meditation is also like cultivating new land. To make a field out of a forest, first you have to clear the trees and pull out the stumps. Then you till the soil and fertilize it, sow your seed and harvest your crop. To cultivate our mind, first we clear out the various irritants that are in the way, pulling them out by the root so they won't grow back. Then we fertilize, we pump energy and discipline into the mental soil. Then we sow the seed and harvest the crops of faith, morality, mindfulness, and wisdom. I know there's been a lot of cultivating going on in these last two days. We've been hearing about it in our meetings, making sure and ensuring that we shine the light and get down deep to pull it up from the soil, from the roots, so that as we plant these new seeds which are going in the soil during this time together, we support and cultivate the best conditions that we can for the outgrowth of sweet fruit. He also says that a purpose of meditation is personal transformation. Meditation changes our character by a process of sensitization, by training us to be deeply aware of our own thoughts, words, and deeds. Arrogance evaporates and antagonism dries up. Mind becomes still and calm. Life smooths out. We become prepared to meet the ups and downs of existence. Tension, fear, and worry are reduced. Restlessness recedes and passion moderates. 
life becomes a glide instead of a struggle. All this happens through understanding. Also, meditation sharpens our concentration and our thinking power. Piece by piece, our own subconscious motives and mechanics become clear to us. Intuition sharpens. The precision of our thoughts increases and gradually we come to a direct knowledge of things as they really are. Without prejudice and without illusion. So one of the things that becomes available for us to know at the deepest level of understanding and awareness is this gift of dharma, this foundational component of in life there is suffering. And how we forget that moment to moment and think that uh, when things are difficult, when there are challenges and there is suffering behind it, that there's something particularly wrong with us. as opposed to remembering that just like the sky is blue and the sun shines and the moon rises, there is suffering in life. Ajahn Sumedho says that there is the good of suffering. When we fully accept dukkha, which is suffering, you also discover distance from your difficulties. The way out of suffering is the way through. We can stop trying to avoid or change or outrun our suffering. We can more ongoingly practice knowing that we know. When we know that we know, we know. Let the body be comfortable and the mind relaxed. Check the attitude of mind. Ajahn Sumedha points out that we must consider meditation and the unfolding of wisdom more like a marathon than a sprint. Be willing to learn from everything. This is a practice for life. Choosing to bear suffering takes an act of courage. But once we do, we have initiated the process of inner transformation. From Philip Moffat, who says, The opposite of suffering is not happiness. Non-suffering is having a relaxed, composed mind that is fully present with whatever is occurring in the moment. It is the capacity to be in relationship to whatever is arising such that you are able to respond from your deepest intentions. It is a feeling of relatedness in life that is free from aversion to suffering. Bhante G says, in each moment we are always getting started. 
if we can bring both awareness and wisdom to each moment in a continuous and sustained way, then nature will take over. This will then give us the momentum to move forward with our practice, with the only effort required being a genuine interest in seeing what meditation can uncover and bring to our lives. Be aware. Reveal some wisdom and hold it all with compassion. This practice is life-giving and restoring and it is an incremental practice. Moment to moment remembering. Compassion serves as the armor that keeps us well on this life walk in these gendered bodies with our histories, our ancestry, our ethnicity and culture, our orientations and economic statuses. Compassion or as it is said in Pali, Karuna. We had a little bit of an introduction to Metta last night, and we will be working with all four of the Brahma-Viharas, and Karuna is presented as the second behind Metta. But one of the distinctions that I believe and that I want to make available to you is that each of the Brahma-Viharas is just another iteration of love. And I think it was Tuweri that told that little story about Joseph last night. So if that's true, y'all are in for it. Because there's four of them. And we're going to offer them all. So just checking in with your body as I read some of these uh, synonyms for Compassion seeing how it resonates energetically there. Empathy. Humanity. Kindness. Tenderness. Soft-heartedness. Humanness. Grace. Heart. The Buddha taught that all humans are alike in their desire for happiness and love. This is so whether or not we use unskillful or skillful means in an attempt to find balance, peace, and happiness. The confidence, strength, and personal authority to right ourselves when we encounter suffering and pain comes from a cultivated heart and mind which trains us and prepares us to meet the suffering and pain we encounter in relation to ourselves and with other beings. Christina Feldman offers this way of thinking about it. Love asks you to let go. Compassion asks you to let go. 
your capacity to be wholeheartedly present for anyone or anything in this world asks you to release your longing for how things used to be and your yearning for a better future. Letting go frees you to take your seat firmly in this moment and in the truth of loss and change. Letting go frees you of the burden of obsessing about what used to be and what might be in the future. Your willingness to let go of what should be liberates you to embrace what is. This is one of the hardest lessons for us to learn and the lesson that none of us can avoid in this life. Most of us discover through reflection that the places we resist and cling to most tenaciously are also the places we suffer most acutely. They are the places we feel most imprisoned in a world governed by self and disconnected from others. Compassion is a release from that imprisonment and a healer of separation. Letting go does not leave you marooned in indifference or apathy. You are not asked to let go of your love or bonds of commitment and care. We are learning step by step moment by moment, to let go of suffering and separation. The capacity to find a boundless compassion is realized by your capacity to let go. Compassion is a responsive movement of the heart. The heart quivers in response to suffering. One way to think of it is that compassion lies at the heart of what it means to be fully human. And it is what allows us to be at peace in the midst of pain and turmoil. It is an energetic response, not a mental idea. We often find ourselves given the opportunity to engage with the task of finding the humility and the courage to open ourselves to our own or others' difficult and distressing circumstances and conditions. It's not easy. It takes intention, persistence, patience, and practice to move to holding it as a core value and creating it as a state of being. The first step in developing compassion is being able to recognize, to open to, and to acknowledge that pain and suffering exists for everybody, everywhere, at some time or another. Sometimes the suffering is intense and terrible, and sometimes it's quiet and small but it is all suffering just the same. We know that suffering is not all there is in life, but at times it can seem that that is the case. It is a thread that needs to be recognized clearly and grounds us in the awareness that we are all connected 
and moving along in our lives, living what it means to be human. That's the soup I think Pam spoke of, or the stew, or maybe the gumbo that we're all marinating in. Denial, resistance, aversion, turning away from this fact and seeing with an obtuse mind only prolongs and aggravates the inevitable struggle that can arise when we do not see things clearly. One of the things that most nourishes true compassion is clarity. When we know what we are thinking and know what we are feeling, clarity, groundedness, and heart opens. This clarity differentiates compassion from what might be thought of as a conventional kind of self-preoccupation when we care only about ourselves and not about others. The Buddha said at one point that if we truly loved ourselves, we would never harm another because if we harm another, it is in some way diminishing who we are. It is taking away from rather than adding to our lives. As the Buddha said, just as the dawn is the forerunner and the first indication of the rising sun, so is right view the forerunner and the first indication of wholesome states. Our view of who we are, of what we are capable of, of what matters in the world, molds our intentions, which in turn mold our actions. How we look at our lives becomes the basis for how we act and how we live and whether our choices are shaped by love and kindness or by ego and reactivity. Transforming our understanding transforms our whole life. Our happiness, our degree of connectedness, our freedom. None of these are fixed in the particular externals of who we are. They are held in the universal potential of what we might become. Compassion is like a mirror into which we can always look. It is like a stream that steadily carries us. It is like a cleansing fire that continually transforms us. So one of the things that's been coming up in the rooms I've been in and most probably in some of the rooms of the other, my colleagues, my other teachers, is this remembering that there is a huge aspect of this practice, particularly when on retreat, that encompasses purification and detoxing. And oftentimes in those kinds of processes, things seem to head downhill before they hit bottom and head back up. So the pains and the worries and the self-critical thought, might I offer you the possibility that that actually is the only way for the purification and detoxing to happen. I think someone spoke to 
one of us spoke to not having coffee. That's kind of maybe minimal. But then there are others of us that are finally getting to the business of clearing out what's been building and festering and uh, bubbling for months, maybe years, maybe lifetimes. All with the expectation that it shouldn't be like this. The reality is that's how it is. So better to alleviate uh, getting caught in the muck and the mire of suffering and know that this too shall pass. Thank goodness for impermanence as opposed to, oh no, impermanence. Can we spend some time cultivating compassion as we do cultivating dislikes, judgment, greed, anger, and ignorance. The Dalai Lama says each of us in our own way can try to spread compassion into people's hearts. Western civilization these days place great importance on filling the human brain with knowledge. But no one seems to care about filling the human heart with compassion. Cultivated heart-mind increases our tolerance and willingness to meet challenges and difficulties and to truly know that this moment is like this, unaffected by the storms created by greed, aversion, and delusion. And when affected, as will happen, we are able to regain balance and to stabilize our hearts and minds with efficiency, efficacy, and ease. Trauma, trouble, difficulties, or struggles are transformative. It demands that we become creative at moving forward and to heal when we can be awake to that sometimes gentle nudge and other times unmistakable push and heed the opening. One of Rumi's quotes, keep your eye on the bandaged places. That's where the light enters. Was taken and put into a poem or song by Leonard Cohen, who says, ring the bells that still can ring. Forget your perfect offering." There is a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. Acceptance is the forerunner for compassion. And intimacy is the forerunner of acceptance. The places where we are the most prone to abandon ourselves through judgment and blame, are the very places we are asked to be the most intimate with. If all were perfect in this world or with ourselves, there'd be no need for compassion. Acceptance is a process of letting go of our demand and insistence that life and ourself must be different than it is in this moment. 
This is not resignation, but a deeper willingness to embrace the imperfect, free of judgment, free of blame. Even more difficult than acknowledging pain is opening to it. This willingness to open where we are most prone to close is a gesture of compassion in the service of ending suffering and sorrow. It isn't easy. It takes courage. It takes fortitude. We may have to do it bit by bit, a little at a time, without forcing or being contrived. We also don't want to construct the illusion that we can somehow control the suffering. When we do not feel in control, often what shows up is righteous anger or indignation, fear, grief, or pity. The near enemies of compassion. This near enemy pity, which seems to be similar or can appear like compassion, but has a quality of feeling superior to or in control of one's own life and feeling that the other person's suffering is because they lack control. And you hear the aversion in that? The far enemy of compassion is cruelty. Cruelty is the enjoyment of other people's suffering. Anger and hatred, outrage, fear and grief are all similar to compassion, but compassion they are not. All are varying states of aversion. When we have a bright, clear mind and can bring forward compassion as the trembling of the heart, it arises with the quality of equanimity. Imagine, imagine a mind where there is no bitter condemning judgment of oneself or of others. This mind does not see the world in terms of good and bad, right and wrong, good and evil. It sees only suffering and the end of suffering. What would happen if we looked at ourselves and all of the different things that we see and did not judge any of it? We would see that some things bring pain and others bring happiness, but there'd be no denunciation, no guilt, no shame, and no fear. And so just making this distinction, you know, those of you all have sat with me or been in the small meeting groups that we've been having know that I spend a lot of time talking about the nervous system. And why I like to elucidate that is because that is the component of this body that makes us human. That is the component of this body that all of the sense doors are connected into. And this understanding that as long as we have a nervous system, we will experience pain. That is a promise, as Pam spoke to making some promises last night. One being that it will all change. But where we come to engage with difficulty and suffering is everything that we put on the pain. Whether it's physical pain, emotional pain, or mental pain. What it is, is just pain. But then we judge ourselves for experiencing it. 
or feel that there's something we're not doing or should be doing. There are two ways of understanding the unfolding of compassion. One is to see compassion as the outcome of a path that can be cultivated and developed. Through investigation, we can learn to attend to those moments when we close and contract in the face of suffering, anger, fear, alienation, and ask ourselves the question, what difference empathy, forgiveness, patience, and tolerance would make? The second way of understanding compassion is to see it as the natural embodiment of wisdom, deep insight, can reveal the emptiness of the notion of self and other. Oftentimes, compassion, as metta, as mudita, as upekka, or equanimity, is often neglected in relationship to ourselves. The ground for compassion, however, is established by practicing sensitivity towards ourself. True compassion arises from a healthy sense of self. Well, now you're saying that's oppositional to not-self. But the distinction here is before you can let go, put down, fully and truly understand this concept of not-self, one must Create, cultivate, and engage with a healthy self. A self not derived from reactivity, from resistance, from suffering. Sometimes that gets skipped over and contributes to more suffering as we continue to try to let stuff go. And it's like Velcro. won't go anywhere. Because most of the time, what we're trying to let go of, we're trying to let it go because we don't want it. Because we want things to be different. You know? So having a healthy self doesn't mean that everything is hunky-dory. It just means we're able to sit with and accept things as they are in this moment without having it or needing it to be any different than it is. Compassion for ourselves gives rise to the power to transform resentment into forgiveness, hatred into friendliness, and fear into respect for all beings. It allows us to extend warmth, sensitivity, and openness to the sorrows around us in a truthful and genuine way. At times, compassion may give rise to action, and at times it will not. And that's the, you know, this, this um, clarity, compassion. The freedom, the freedom actually, part of what exists or that lands there or sits there with the freedom is this ability to make choices and to take action from a place that comes available to knowing after discernment and choice. So much of what we engage with individually and what we are um, bumping up against in terms of the external, so there's the internal stuff. 
that we do, that we have happening. And then there's the external stuff, which is also a reality for many people. But how we engage with that external successfully is dependent upon how skilled we become at meeting what's before us from a place of neutrality, which I hear many of you all calling boring or boredom. Consider that this experience of boredom is actually an interpretation of what seems to be in existence because of a lack of stimulation. Like, you know, I offer, I said this in one of my groups, you know, one of the things that might be interesting to do is to actually explore what your anticipation, projection, or expectation is of what freedom is. Like, is it a place where it's, I don't know, floating in the sun, having cake, being with the puppy. Like, is that freedom? You know, or it, it might it be something like uh, hmm, being able to come from a place of nowhere and nothing, but everywhere and all things. So as I move towards um, ending, I'm going to borrow some words from one of our other sisters, Tanisara. Um, yeah, who spent a lot of time contemplating all of this. And here's what she offers up. The training of remembering by connecting to what is here and now becomes a portal through which the mind can touch and know its deepest ground. The unobstructed chitta, which is heart-mind, chitta, heart-mind. The undivided knowing, awareness. I think we've been using the word loving awareness or something like that. We're talking about the same thing. This awareness is profound subjectivity. While neither masculine or feminine, it is often metaphorically equated with the feminine principle. The primordial awareness of the chitta is known as the womb of awareness that births wisdom. It is this awareness that connects to the universal intelligence of life, which we experience as intuitive knowing. When we are mindful in this way, we no longer create fractures in the web of our lives. Instead, through wise, intuitive awareness, everything is known, clarified, healed, and released or restored. This practice of mindfulness as it subdues the thinking and objectifying mind releases us from chasing sensory experience and thereby creates the conditions for a deeper attunement to a deeper listening. This then opens into a direct knowing of how things are. This mind of ours, not knowing the primordial womb of formlessness as its 
fundamental nature, like not recognizing that, constantly seeks to identify and find a home within the changing world of objects with which it is in reactive relationship. For the most part, the reactions of the mind are a result of its own projections, which are tainted, (laughs) tainted by desire, fear, and aversion. This entire process generates an ongoing inner agitation. Anyone been feeling that? Which the Buddha called suffering. Tainted by ignorance, views become projections. Fear, desire, and aversion, the mind creates its experience of the world. When the dualistic mind releases from its identification with the objective world and stops trying to find a home there, there is an awakening into subjectivity, the inner, deeper listening awareness. In the Shurangama Sutta, which is a Chinese Buddhist text, listening awareness is called pure essence of consciousness, the original root of mind. This consciousness is signless, placeless, and timeless. It has no center or circumference. It cannot be named, grasped, or known as an object. It simply is. It is the deepest seat of the heart. When through mindfulness, the mind that goes out and objectifies the world turns around to contemplate the citta, it begins to heal wounds carried within the structures of the self, and gradually, gradually, it recognizes its true home. At the heart of a radical response to these times and our nervous systems, it is the elevated need to balance out and integrate masculine and feminine. The feminine energy is essential because of its natural receptivity its inclusivity and empathy. The feminine archetype of a kind and careful nurturing is important at a time when we can lose so much through an out-of-balance paradigm. The feminine isn't only gentle, however. It also has a very dynamic dimension. Representations like Kuan Yin, who are associated with mercy, and healing have attributes and responses that are stern when it comes to protection of the Dharma. She is the remover of poisons who exude fierce compassion through the use of axes to cut through obstruction, arrows to pierce the heart, lassos to tie up demons, swords to cut away ignorance, and also sweet dew to soothe and heal, sutras to educate, and mantras to protect and bestow fearlessness. In one of the depictions of Kuan Yin, 
who is an Indian archetype, Avalokitesvara, who perfectly embodies a healthy, mature, and empowered balance of both the masculine and feminine energies, i.e. holism, which is what I'm charging us to take a look at. When both principles are integrated, then a mature love is born. This is the kind of love that embraces our burning earth, utilizing the pristine clarity of wisdom and the fierce intent of compassion to protect all species and the undoing of human beings. Avalokitesvara is known as the one who regards the sounds of the world and who looks deeply into the hearts of all beings from the place of compassion. She, he, they represents courageous engagement born of feeling a deep affinity with all of life. The fearlessness of compassion leads us directly into the conflict and suffering of life. Fearless compassion recognizes the inevitable suffering of life and our need to face the suffering in order to learn. Sometimes only the fire of suffering itself and the consequences of our actions can bring us deeper understanding to feel kindness for all beings and to liberation. There is no formula for the practice of compassion. It requires that we listen and attend, understand our motivation, and then move from there, asking what action can really be the most helpful here. There is a certainty, a flexibility needed to respond to changing circumstances, setting limits when necessary, and being flexible at the same time. Compassion allows life to pass through our hearts with its paradoxes of love, joy, and pain. When we hear the call of the compassionate heart, we give what we can to stop, to stop the war, to protect the children, to heal the environment, to transform prejudice and oppression, to care for the poor, and yet true compassion also loves ourselves, respects our own needs, honors our limits and our true capacity. When genuine compassion and wisdom come together, we honor, love, praise, and include ourselves and others Instead of holding the ideal that we should be able to give endlessly with compassion for all beings, except me, we find compassion for all beings, including ourselves. Audre Lorde says, caring for myself is not self-indulgence. It is self-preservation. And that is an act of political warfare.
the perception of separation between self and others transforms and drops away. As we cultivate the habit of self-care as a wise way to spend our effort and as a doorway into connection. It is also an act of generosity to take the steps and measure to ensure that we are well. So, enjoy meditation. Drink your tea. Mindfully breathe. Visit with nature, the sky, the birds, the trees, the flowers, children, whatever is refreshing, healing, and nourishing in us and around us. Enjoy the company of happy people so that you get sufficient nourishment. Daily setting an intention for the cultivation of well-being through practice. This practice of nourishment is very important. We must remain balanced and therefore the daily practice of being in touch with elements with elements that do not constantly express suffering, is essential to the practice of compassion. We can come to this recognition through the understanding of this path and the application of clearly seeing and in cultivating courage and wisdom of the mind-heart. When genuine compassion arises, It moves through us as grace, bringing together a tenderness and fearlessness that could never come by any other means. May we be safe from internal and external harm. May we have a calm, clear mind and a peaceful, loving heart. May we be strong, healthy, and vital. May we experience and offer love, joy, wonder, and wisdom in this life just as it is. Compassion phrases created by Philip Moffat and a group of inmates in a prison meditation program. Thank you for your listening this afternoon. Let's sit for a moment. Compassion is not practiced or known outside of the understanding that there is no separation. A poem for you.
my ancestry DNA results came in. Just as I suspected, my great-great-grandfather was a monarch butterfly. Much of who I am is still wriggling under a stone. I am part lava, but part hummingbird, too. There is dinosaur tar in my bone marrow. My golden hair sprang out of a meadow in Palestine. Genghis Khan is my fourth cousin, but I didn't get his dimples. My loins are loaded with banyan seeds from Sri Lanka, but I descended from Ravana, not Ram. My uncle is a mastodon. There are traces of Viking people in my saliva. 3.7 billion years ago, I swirled in the golden dust, dreaming of a planet overgrown with lingams and yonis. More recently, say 60,000 B.C., I walked on hairy paws across a land bridge joining Sweden to Botswana. I am the bastard of the sun and moon. I can no longer hide my heritage of raindrops and cougar scat. I am made of your grandmother's tears. You conquered rival tribesmen of your own color, chained them together, marched them naked to the coast, and sold them to colonials from Savannah. I was that brother you sold. I was the slave trader. I was the chain. Admit it. You have wings, vast and golden, like mine, like mine. You have sweat, black and salty, like mine, like mine. You have secrets silently singing in your blood, like mine, like mine. Don't pretend that earth is not one family. Don't pretend we never hung from the same branch. Don't pretend we don't ripen on each other's breath. Don't pretend we didn't come here to forgive.
Thank you for your practice. And it's now time for walking meditation. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.